0: In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy, Happy New Year. year. <laughs> you uh, you may not have noticed this, but this is a, a slightly different New Year celebration than Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, uh, slightly different. There's uh, a lot less Mariah Carey and the Chainsmokers and a lot more Alter, um, a lot less celebrity interviews, a lot more of... Uh, all the rituals that make up our, our New Year's celebration together. I bring this up because it's interesting to note that instead of a giant, flashy, glitzy ball dropping from the sky, our New Year's celebration begins quite differently. It begins in the dark. It begins with us waiting in the dark. If you would reimagine New York's Christmas Eve celebration for, with me for a moment, it would it would look a little bit more like no lights in Times Square, and a lot of people huddled together, freezing in the night, sweaty, dark. And their minds focused on one thing, getting back home, finding Penn Station, and getting out of there. Advent begins with us waiting in the dark. This isn't because we are people who don't love celebrating or because we're people who choose self clothing who choose to wallow. It's because when we look around at the world and we see all the pain and ugliness behind that veneer of smiling TV faces and glowing balls of light. We r- realize that our celebration of the new year needs to look different. We can't believe that message of fake plastic joy. And we don't have to f- look very hard to find pain and ugliness all around us. I'm sure each of us could go through this exercise just reflecting on the past couple weeks alone, both both personally in our own lives and then more, uh, you know, at a larger scale globally or even just in our neighborhoods nationally. I can think of all kinds of examples of me getting upset and angry and hurting people and just the, the frustration I have when my baby wakes up in the middle of the night, for example. Um, but then outside of ourselves, we we are exposed, I mean, this week alone, exposed to camps in China that look a lot like concentration camps and are really scary to consider the ramifications of this huge detention of of Muslims in China or school shootings again and again or large-scale corruption in our government and more and more stories of the vast divide between rich and poor. I'm sure all of you can give more and more examples of this. One one that comes to mind uh, immediately for me is homelessness. I think just being near LA, we think a lot about it, but I was also this past week reflecting a little bit on, uh, about a year ago, I befriended a man in Oregon, Uh, his name was Michael as well, and uh, he was spending a lot of time in the city of Portland, I lived about 45 minutes outside the city, and uh, Portland had had lost the ability to care for um, a lot of these people, especially with mental health issues. That had been living on the streets, and so they started to kind of push them towards communities that had services. and um, And this man came into our town and uh, was just walking around, and and we met at the grocery store. and He was struggling a whole lot, and the 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 density of trying to walk with him through life as he's struggling to get his medications, and he's dealing with all this bureaucracy, trying to get help, and he's screaming and. Um, lashing out at people at a coffee shop. You're just faced with this complexity of human sin and the thickness of it and the um, how it's so caught up and knotted and hard to unravel and hard to figure out. It's so systemic and broad. It's, it's uh, frankly paralyzing at times. And for me, uh, that relationship was a, a real devastating mirror of sin and evil in my own life. On the personal side, the kind of judgment that I brought to my relationship with him and just meeting him as a person, um, initially just finding him smelly and gross um, and not wanting to be around him because of that uh, and and acknowledging within myself a lack of generosity that I've had towards other people like him because I didn't know their story or you know I might have had good reason because I felt gypped by someone who I saw in the same corner telling a different story each time or whatever it was. but But there was a lot of stuff that, Um, that exposed to myself and that it was also a devastating mirror for our culture of of the sin and the evil that um, that had desensitized me to stories like this because i'd seen it so much and because we'd seen it so much all this to say this one example i imagine opens up for you others example other examples that displays very clearly that we find ourselves in the dark that advent appropriately begins with us waiting in the dark our um, Advent hymn, the opening hymn today, which is probably the Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, um, and is, is derived from and inspired by uh, prophecies in Isaiah, attest to this really well. We may remember rejoice, rejoice in the chorus. That might be the words that stick with us. But if we spend some time in those verses, there's some heavy stuff there. Captivity, mourning and exile, the clouds of gloomy night. Death's dark shadows, our sad divisions. These are themes that pop up all over the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Sometimes they get a bad rap because the Old Testament seems like it's filled with so much violence and darkness and gloom and um, stuff that we wouldn't want to propagate and repeat. Why is the scriptures bringing this stuff up? And I, I think one thing that Advent can teach us is that our God... And the church wants to remember that we don't live in this happy, joyful, fake plastic world. Advent reminds us that we live in the dark. Our scriptures prevent us from denying the reality of the world around us, that we live in the dark. This is true in a lot of the apocalyptic literature we come across in Matthew 14, which we read today. Attests to this very thing. Right at the beginning, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There's a, a bit of variance in the history of interpretation of some of these verses. Sometimes people see it as uh, looking forward to the destruction of the temple after Jesus was around and at the beginning of the um, A.D. But uh, others would say it's, it's uh, looking to Jesus' second coming at the end of time. Whatever the case might be, it's clear that we live in the dark. We could spend more time there. Whatever it's saying, we live in the dark. Advent finds us in the dark. And, and the question that I think um, arises for us, or at least the, one of the first questions I want to ask is, what do we do in the dark? I know that we care deeply about addressing or trying to solve these problems we, we confront, this evil we see, this sin we see both in ourselves and in the broader world. And I believe that most people have this innately good desire to do that. I believe that the image of God, even if they don't believe in God, that God has imprinted on them um, a desire to to be like God in some way and to to see and thrive in a good world. I also know that we as Christians are called to help. This is very clear to us. This past Thanksgiving, a couple days ago, I, uh, I preached and, and reflected a little bit on James 1, and in James 1, it's very explicit that religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Us caring about people in the dark is central to what it means to be a Christian. But when we keep on confronting all these things, at a certain point, we begin to ask ourselves, what else can we do? Can we solve these problems? all the technology in the world doesn't seem to be able to save us it doesn't seem to be able to solve this homelessness problem sometimes it looks really great a problem will be solved in one neighborhood but then it's exported elsewhere either overseas or in a different neighborhood with gentrification or something else these these issues are so complex and and when we seem to solve something other problems always pop up it doesn't mean we don't act but we begin to feel a sense of paralysis at times. The reality of human sin, hunger, poverty, betrayal, pain is simply too immense for us. And at a certain point, whatever the example of human sin we begin to examine, personal, corporate, or both, whatever sin that shakes our lives, whatever shakes evil shakes the world around us, when we get to the end of ourselves, we simply cannot do anything but sit in this dark that we find ourselves at the beginning of Advent. And that the church in its wisdom has decided begins our new year, sitting in the dark. This is where we begin. We find ourselves watching and waiting in the dark. This isn't just something I say arbitrarily. It comes up all over scriptures, watching and waiting. If, if you've been reading the Psalms in the daily office each month or um, going through a cycle every other month, You may have run into Psalm 130 several times, and um, this one has been ringing in my ears this week, the the image of the watchman waiting for the morning. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. If you can imagine uh, a watchman or a watchwoman in a, a town, an ancient town that's um, surrounded by darkness as the night comes, and any invader could easily sneak up, and probably wouldn't be holding a flashlight and communicating they're on their way. Um, and as they're coming, all you could hope for is a glimpse of them, maybe a, a armor that catches a glimpse a glint of light, and and then you might see them. But the the real thing you're hoping for is that light to come over the hill, and for the morning to come, so that your watch is over and you could trust that you'll be safe. This is what the watchman is doing, is waiting for the Lord. And this is why one of the names of Christ for Advent is the day spring, the morning star, the rising sun. This is one of the verses that we come across in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, again inspired by Isaiah. Uh, one of the seven O antiphons, as the church has sung them. Um, traditionally, the church leading up to Christmas, there's seven days where we sing these names of Christ. O wisdom. O Adonai, O Lord, O root of Jesse, O key of David, O dayspring, King of nations, Emmanuel. This is one of the names of Christ, O dayspring. We watch and wait for the dayspring to come. Matthew 14 also um, points us to watching as the posture for Christians in the darkness. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows when the sun will come. And then a little further on, Therefore, stay awake or watch, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. Watch. There's this sense of vigilant expectation. It's a kind of active waiting. And the, the initial thing, the immediate thing it reminds me of is um, our son's birth about a year ago and pregnancy, watching and waiting. There's no example in my life that I could think of better of watching and waiting because yes, there is this vigilant expectation. There is this real desire to prepare and do and um, do whatever you can to solve these problems. For me, that looked like uh, making a space in our home, preparing his room, finding a changing table, getting a crib, putting it together. And in that process of preparation, I was, in a sense, becoming a parent. And it it was an activity. It was active. But ultimately, there was absolute dependence. There was no way I could bring that child into the world safely. There was no way I could save that child and give that child life. It was very apparent to us, my wife and I, when uh, we went on a little trip. Uh, this was in Oregon. We went to the Columbia River Gorge, if any of you have ever been there. It's stunningly beautiful. We're really excited for a full day in the gorge of hiking and enjoying the last couple weeks of of uh, freedom before baby came. And Mandy woke up in the morning and couldn't feel the baby move. And we prayed and we waited a little bit. And then we called the hospital and they said, come over instantly. And suddenly our day was gone and we were praying and waiting, and there was nothing we could do, absolutely dependent upon the Lord, and it was really scary. Um, I had a conversation with a woman after the last service who was telling me um, that the last time she had a sense of that was waiting for lab results, of of waiting and watching where she'd done everything she could. She ate healthy. She'd gone through all the, the doctor's appointments and all those things, but at the end of the day, all she could do was absolutely depend upon something beyond her and wait and watch. All she could do is wait and watch. I think the image of pregnancy is really appropriate because we're given two kind of models of waiting and watching throughout Advent. Uh, John the Baptist and Mary, Mother of God, these are the kind of figures of Advent, these two people who are known for waiting and watching for pointing to Christ, waiting and watching. Oh, by the way, my wife just signaled me. Baby was okay. (laughs) I did that in the first service. I covered it, but thanks for... I was wondering why she was like... Baby is great, very healthy. Um, Yeah, (laughs) praise God. (laughs) But it was absolute dependence that we had to learn in that moment. Fully trusting God. Um, key figures throughout Advent, two of them, Mary and John the Baptist. Uh, it's helpful for us to know that we're not alone in this, that we have these models of the faith, the people who wait and watch and teach us how to do that. We so badly want to act, to do, to save ourselves, to figure out how to save the world around us. But Advent teaches us to wait and to watch. And I think it's pretty good news to know that Advent doesn't get its name from waiting and watching, though. We don't stay there in the waiting and watching. Advent gets its name from the coming of God. From the fact that God comes to us when we are waiting and watching in the dark. The primary actor isn't us. The primary actor isn't John or Mary. The primary actor is the God who comes in the dark and saves us. That's why every verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that deals with such gloom and darkness, can end with rejoice. Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel, Christ the morning star, the light who shines in the darkness. The ultimate message of Advent, a time which begins with waiting in the dark, is that God is the one who has come and will come again to save us from ourselves. He comes as a good judge. Isaiah 2 displays this beautifully um, as we read today. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our God comes as a judge. This sounds scary. I know it does for me, at least how I grew up thinking about God. The the concept of a judge was really scary. But this is a good and perfect judge. This is a judge who comes to us in the dark and helps us see the light, who turns these weapons of violence these swords or whatever weapon of violence you want to name that you've experienced in your, your own life into tools for cultivating life. A sword becoming a plowshare made to, to till the land so that new life can emerge out of it. This is what the God who comes to us in the dark does. He's our good judge and he gives us hope. His judgment is just and it can be, it can be scary because we are in need of judgment. And the sin in our lives is real. We're going to see that in a little bit when Father Scott reads the exhortation for us before we receive, um, before we confess today. Uh, A couple times a year we uh, read this exhortation which instructs us in the importance of confession before coming to communion. This stuff matters and confession matters because it affects all our lives. But we have a good judge, a good judge who wants to turn all these tools that we use to hurt each other and ourselves into tools of hope. I, uh, I had a chance to tell Randall Templin earlier this morning how much I loved the Advent um, prayer that he wrote for the, the lighting of the Advent wreath. I think he did a really good job capturing this. He says, "...the candle, the hope, the Christ calls us to walk as though the day is dawned, despite every indication that night will last our whole lives." To dress ourselves in Christ, even though we are so comfortable in our sin. To bring a plowshare to a sword fight. To bring a plowshare to a sword fight. That's the kind of great judge we have who comes to us in the dark. Our readings also show us that Advent isn't waiting for a cute, non-threatening baby Jesus. It's part of it. That's part of it. But that's only a very small part of what it means to celebrate Advent. We are waiting for the coming of a righteous and powerful judge. This waiting that we 're doing right now during advent it isn 't just a kind of play that we rehearse once a year that doesn 't have much of an effect on our lives. This waiting is a real waiting that we are participating in. We are waiting for the coming of Christ in the fullness of time it 's not just remembering the waiting for a baby that 's how Advent has been celebrated for for most of the church 's history. A good way to to see this is if you read the prayer, the collect for the day, this is the the prayer that we read at the beginning of each Sunday that kind of captures the themes of that Sunday. This collect, if you want to hear my sermon again, just read that collect. It's like this big. Um, That's the whole sermon. And it's it's a collect that's been read throughout Advent uh, for many years by the church and was actually, for a time, the only collect that was read throughout Advent. Now we have kind of richer themes that are woven throughout Advent. Um, But for a time, this was the only colic that was was prayed, which really shows you that judgment and waiting for the coming of Christ is the major theme of our waiting. It's what we're doing during Advent. It's not just some domesticated waiting for a, a precious little baby. This is something much deeper. We're watching and waiting for the righteous judge. So, in the end, we await that great coming, and we are certain that Christ is victorious because he has already come to earth as a child, yes, and then he conquered sin and death through the cross and resurrection, and now he is coming again. For now, we live in a world of darkness and shadow, but our God never leads us here hopeless and without light. The sun is approaching the horizon, and Advent is the pervasive reality of this Christian life. We are watchmen and women following the example of of John the Baptist, of Mary, whose entire lives are Advent lives held in tension between the darkness and the coming of Christ and the fullness at the end of time. This isn't easy because it demands from us vigilant expectation. We're not just sitting. We're not just passive. We're not just watching people hurt and dying around us. We're called to care generously for those who are hurting for our neighbors, both Christians and not. That's central to the Christian life. But it also demands absolute dependence. Absolute dependence, like being a parent waiting for a child, like being a person who is facing um, maybe news of death or maybe news of, of health when waiting for lab results. This pairing of absolute dependence and vigilant expectation. We live between this this these two times. The first ...coming in the Lord, immersed in this tension, that we cannot save the world from this darkness. But we can point to the horizon, and we can put on Christ, put on the armor of light, as our Roman readings touch on, as a beacon of light for those still struggling. As Christians, we wait and watch in the pregnant dawn. Even though we are surrounded by the dark, we know that in Christ, new life has already stirred in the womb and will soon be born in its fullness. We know that dawn shadow will soon give way. The horizon will break as Christ, the Son of Righteousness, our great Judge, will forever dispel the darkness at the end of the age. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.